morning. You know, it was great. I love, I love all the classes that we're having at our church. It's a couple years ago, we did this uh, uh, survey. I don't know, several of you were involved in it. Remember, we stayed after church and we did the survey. And one of the things that was requested was that our church would have more opportunities for disciple training. And I just want you to know, man, look at this. It's happening all over the place. There's basics class, discipleship class, financial training class. I mean, there's a bunch. Isn't it awesome to have a church that gives you an opportunity to grow up in your faith? No, not so much. I mean, come on. I love that. It's good. It's just really important that it just, I think I think I love about church is that this is here for you to grow or not. You don't have to grow if you don't want to. Isn't that the great thing about Christianity? You can just kind of stay where you are. Can you really? <laughs> I don't know about that. Hey, listen, we are in our fourth week of our series entitled, I'm Not Blank Enough. I'm Not Blank Enough. We've heard that a hundred billion times, haven't we? Some of you even this morning. I'm not enough. I'm not pretty enough, smart enough, happy enough, financially secure enough. I'm not whatever enough. We hear it once. We hear it a million times that we're not enough. Somehow, we measure ourselves by everyone around us. That guy has all kinds of peace. Look at his life. He's got financial security. You look at your life. Like, if I had financial security, then I would have this same peace. And you go and cover that guy's life, and he's got a struggle like you don't have. All the time, we have the struggle of measuring ourselves with who it is that we think we're supposed to be. We spent the last three weeks kind of debunking some of that stuff and trying to figure out what God says about you and me. What does he say about us as his children? Remember a couple of weeks ago we said that in order for you to change, at some point you have to want to change, right? We have to want to. If you don't want to change, you don't got to change. And we also said last week, what God says about you is that he says you are complete in him. Remember what it says in Colossians, right? You are complete in your relationship with Christ. In other words, you don't need anything else to make yourself better. The truth is you are great in Christ. Well, then why do you keep sinning and blowing up? <laughs> because your flesh is insatiable. It wants to always have its way. It wants to always have its, have its um, way being had all the time. It's always wanting to be satisfied. So really, we need to put the de- to death the deeds of the flesh. That's all you need to know. Amen. Let's go home, right? That's a harder thing than it thinks, right? Well, this morning I want to finish up our series about who it is that God says that we are. And I think I'd be remiss if I didn't spend a little time talking to you about who it is that he says that you are supposed to be about. In other words, I think sometimes we, we, we you know, you, I go to any men's retreat, any men's conference, men's bathroom, doesn't matter. You're going to hear somebody say, hey, what do you do? Hey, so what do you do? I don't know, what do you do? And it's like all the time you're asked that question. Translation, what are you doing to make a difference in this world with the career that you're choosing? And you gotta, you gotta paint it good somehow. You're just like, ah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a, or whatever. You go on, you just try to make yourself, we all do that, right? Because we want to make ourselves look better in front of somebody else. What is it that you do? I want to spend some time this morning talking to you about God's will for your life. Let's pray. God, will you help us to see what you have planned for us? Will you help us to see what your will is? We spend way too much time trying to forge around and hope that we can find it. But God, help us to see what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ so that we can do good things. Everyone say good things. We can do good things that he planned for us long ago. Huh. 
We are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ so that we can do good things that he planned for us long ago. So he actually planned for something long ago on your behalf. Hmm. He says that we're supposed to do good deeds, and these good deeds, these good deeds that he had planned for you to do long ago. Good works. Some of your Bibles say good works or good things. The Bible says that we have these things, but somehow he planned your life to do good things. <laughs> well, then what on earth am I supposed to do? How do I find that? Have you ever wondered that? You got to think that God's will is some sort of an Easter egg hunt, right? Like somebody else found the $5 egg. You didn't. And so the $5 egg just for everyone else. And you're just like, I want the $5 egg. Someone tell me God's will for my life. Man, if that's one thing, we, we, we say a lot. I heard a pastor talking to me about another guy who, uh, who at one point wanted to be in ministry in his life. And, and now he was in his later part of his years of his career. And, and this pastor says to me, oh, that guy? That guy missed his window of opportunity to be a pastor. And I was like, about that man I don't know about that something tells me that something tells me that it's got to be easier than that you know if you unplug that guy's life a little bit you know you know you'd find out he was a really good pastor as a teacher as a school teacher one of the best pastors you'd ever bump into one-on-one classroom on classroom he was the best pastor he didn't have a pulpit he had a desk and a whiteboard he's a really good pastor just happened to be in a public school Amen. I love that, right? He got to be a pastor. So uh, sometimes we figure out, we, we, we get so uptight about God's will for our life. We're so freaked out. And we, we, we take classes and we take books and we do seminars and everything else. Just help me find your will for my life, God. Should I marry her? Should I buy that car? Should I take that business? Should I quit this job? Should I leave that church? You go on, man. We go on and on and on and on ad nauseum. And we're just like, God, will you just tell me something? I got a funny feeling that God didn't intend for it to be so darn hard. But we... Wait a minute. If it's not so hard, then why is there such an emphasis at trying to make it hard? Is it because you intrinsically try to make things hard? Or is it the enemy that kind of jumps in and says, you know what? Gosh, if they really knew who they were and they knew what they were supposed to do, ah, they would be crazy strong. But if they knew who they were and they knew what they were supposed to do, limitless potential. I got a funny feeling that the devil's convinced us all that we're not supposed to know who we are and what we're supposed to do. And if we did that, then he's happy. But could you imagine if finding God's will for your life, what the good deeds are, the good things that he intended for us to do, was actually findable. And what he says about you being complete in him was actually attainable. And you were complete and you knew what you're supposed to do and you wake up in the morning and your life is not a big yawn. But you get up in the morning with a skip in your step and you're just like, come on! Let's face this day. Something like that. Come on, that's what God's plan for your life is. Is to be able to spend some time figuring out what he says and be able to just walk in it. I'm not waiting until the end of your days and say, ah, oh, why, why did I not whatever, 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 and live life with regret. God's intention is for you to become the best version of you. His intention all along, when he created you, he said, listen, when I made you Sue, or I made you Tom, or I made you Sandy, I I made you to be the best version of Sandy possible. I didn't intend for you to be like the half part of Sandy, or a kinder version of Tom. I intended you to be the best Tom Tom could be. Not the best Tom among all Toms, 
Not the best Sandy amongst all Sandys, but the best Sandy. Sandy could be with Sandy's gifts and Sandy's purpose and Sandy's place in the world. God intends you to be the same. He intends for you to be the best version of you where you are. Wouldn't it be awesome if we believe that? You know the pressure? The, 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 the advertisers that would lose their jobs? The, 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 the confidence you would walk in? I know who I am. I know who I'm supposed to be. I know what I'm supposed to do, and I know God's plan for my life. Amen. Man, you would be like, you'd be like healthy. We are God's workmanship, created us in Christ to do good things that he planned for us long ago. You know, it's hard for me to read that passage of scripture. Man, I spent time, last several weeks, just reading it over and over and over. I don't know how you study scripture, but when I do, I read it over and over and over, backwards and forwards and over and try to take words apart and see what they mean. Man, and, then I, and I bumped into this, and every time I read it, I had to continue to remind myself to stop viewing it through my North American mindset. My North American self-absorbed, God wants me to be the center of his universe mindset. The the, the North American, um, God, I need you to do this and command that he does it now. And if he doesn't do it my way, then somehow he's not good. That mindset. The, The mindset of the North American that says, I prayed about it and it didn't come true. So Lance, God did not answer my prayer. Because that's what the North American mindset says. It says, it's like, God, if you didn't do it my way, somehow you didn't answer my prayer. Can I tell you that God, who understands love, and sometimes love says no. Sometimes love just says no. And that's an answer. I believe God answered every single prayer ever prayed. But sometimes he just says no. God's will. How do we find that? And and oftentimes we we view scriptures through this North American mindset that's so self-absorbed. It's all about me. God, don't you understand? You know their hairs on my head, so you know everything about me. God, I'm the apple of your eye. I mean, we say those things, and truth is, that's all the truth. He loves you like crazy. He knows all this stuff like mad. But the truth is, is what was this context written in? That you are God's masterpiece, created for good works that he planned long ago. What about the Middle Eastern first century mindset that this was written Two, I think if we understood a little bit more context of what it was written to, perhaps we would understand a little bit more about the plan for our lives. Uh, so listen to this. Uh, uh, Galatians chapter 3, 26 says this. It says, so Christ Jesus, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through your faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ. Have clothed yourselves with Christ. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, nor male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you belong to Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. The first century Middle Eastern mindset would read that passage of scripture and say, you were baptized into Christ, therefore you were clothed. You and I would say like, First of all, that's kind of confusing language because it means so many different things. Baptism was what we did last week. We dip people in water. And, you know, and clothing yourself with water, how in the world is that possible? You see, we don't talk like that. What we would say using the word baptism is we would say, um, that guy is just, he's so at work all the time. That guy just never leaves his work. He's always about his work. All he does is go to work. He wakes up, work, 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 work. You know, we would say, that guy is just immersed in his work. See, When we say we are clothed with Christ, we've been baptized into him, here's what we're saying. You are immersed into Christ. 
the first century mindset would say, oh, I get it. You're no longer you. You've been so immersed that you've become clothed in Christ. And when we look at you, we see Jesus. That's what they would see. You know, I guess listen to this. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You've heard it a million times. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because, and because all he has done for you. Let them be a living, holy sacrifice, the kind that he will be acceptable. The Middle Eastern first century mindset would read that because of all he has done for you and understanding what Jesus did on the cross and all the, the whipping and beating and all that stuff he, he took for you, when you read that phrase, because of all he's done for you, in America, here's what we would say, like, gosh, that's nice. Died for me. Yay. Amen. You know, it's all we do, right? But the Middle Eastern first century mindset, when they fully understood Paul, Peter, John, all those guys that would said. All that you did for me, I owe you my life. This indebtedness would wake up within them that they would say, because of what, what all you did for me, I am, I, am, I am yours. That's what the first century Middle Eastern mindset, listen to this. The, first, the, the, the passage that Pastor Steve read in our offering today, in, in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, it says this. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and who is given to you by God? But you don't belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Now, now we say it to that, like, yay, that's nice, that's good. It would be great on a mirror as you're getting ready for your day. I've been bought with a price. Let me tell you, the first century Middle Eastern mindset would read this. And they would say, I've been bought with a price. I am no longer my own. I've been purchased. Every decision I make belongs to him. God, what would you have me do today? How would I? Every decision, what would the character of God say about that decision? What would the character of God say about, what has God already said about doing those kinds of things? We would just begin to walk in that because the first century Middle Eastern mindset would say, listen, I've been bought with a price. I'm pay, I, I've been taken, I'm no longer mine. I'm his, all of me. I give it all to him. But see, in America, we say, we don't, in America, we say, Jesus, come into my life. Come into my world. First century Middle Eastern mindset would say, God, I give you my life. I want to go into your world. I surrender it all. And some of us say, yes, I surrender it all. I'm a Christian. Amen. Except for that, uh, I give you all of me, God, but, but my money. <laughs> God, I give you all of me, but uh, my time. I'll take that one back. Just my time, God, you know. I give you all of me, God. I Lord, Lord, I just want to go to heaven. I want to be a Christian. I give you all of me except for that unforgiveness issue I've been hanging on to for 20 years. See, listen. We either give it all to him or we don't. There's no kind of Christian. I'm wanting that to scare you just a bit. Because we're not playing a game here, people. This is for real. The devil hates you and doesn't want you to know this message that you've been bought with a price and you are his. He can't have you. You already belong to Christ. And if you know who you are and you've already belonged to Christ and what he says goes, then you know what? The devil can't mess with you because he's little God big. Hmm. If we belong to him, then we belong to him. If we belong to him, then our stuff belongs to him. If we belong to him, 
then he gets to decide the good things. Well, it's not fair. I want the good things. He said he's got good things he planned for me long ago, but God, I want to vote. I want to be able to say, God, that's not a good thing. I don't like that thing. I want to vote in this, right? Because we're North American Christians and we get a vote. That's what we want to think. God, you just give me a vote in this thing. I just want to make sure. And he says, listen, this is not a democracy. I'm the king. You're not. If you've given your life to me, then you've given your life to me. And I get to decide the good things. Here's the crazy thing. I actually love you. Because I love you, the good things are going to be the good things to you, and you don't even know it. How do I know that? I've been a dad. Come on. You've been a parent for 10 minutes. You realize that, right? If you've been an animal owner for 10 minutes, you know that. Right? you got good things planned, but they want to go run into the other yard. I mean, you're like, no, you're going to get hurt. Don't do that. Don't run into the road. And you, you, but the good things are in the road. And you'd say, look, you're going to get hit, right? Oh, come on. It's not rocket science. But you, from your perspective and your understanding, know what the good things are. That's the will of God. He has a will for your life. He has a plan for your life. He knows what the good things are. The question is, is do you, the question is really this. Do we really want his good things? Because if we don't really want his good things, then what we're really saying is, is, I only want my good things, thanks God, anyway. I didn't really give you all of me. I just gave you some of me. Hmm. To live any other way. To, to, to say, God, I give you all of me, but to take back your finances or to take back your uh, unforgiveness issue or to take a hold of your own time, to, to live any other way except God, your will be done. To live any other way, can I tell you this? It's like stealing from God. See, if you gave him you all and then you say, but not that, it's like you're taking back what you gave to him. That's the problem. It's we so desperately want God to do everything, but we really want to do it our way. And if God doesn't do it our way, then he's not good. Sometimes love says no. Sometimes things fall apart. Sometimes, what, but and the truth is, we don't want to hear any of that because we want a loving God who always says yes and wears a red suit and has a white beard. <laughs> to live any other way is like taking back what is rightfully his. God, listen, I want you so desperately to help me get this job or to help me get this thing or to help me go for that deal or to, to, to close the deal on that car or that house or that woman. Figure out, God, I just wish you could help me do that thing. If you could do this thing, everything would be great. And God says, listen, that's not the good thing I have planned for you. So, no. And then we push through it anyway. And then we say, God, how could you let this happen? I thought you loved me. God, you know, you told me not to marry this unbeliever. I did anyway, and now it's all falling apart. God, what? Would you love me? Yes, he loves you. And thank God there's grace to be able to cover our goofy tracks. Amen. Right? That's what grace is all about. Grace is all about doing your best. And when you can't get it all done right, he does the rest. Shandala. Right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's all I could come up with. To do anything else would be stealing from God. If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Malachi. Because I think we have done... I think in finding God's will for our life or discovering what the good things are, we've made it so difficult. And quite frankly, I think like I told you before, we've been pushed along to be told that it's really difficult, but it's super. I don't think it's supposed to be hard. I think it's supposed to be super easy. 
And these people in Malachi, Malachi was written um, a bunch of years ago. If you take your Bible and you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a divide right in the middle. Old, old, new, right? Old Testament over here, New Testament over here. Old Testament, right? It goes all the way up. Old Testament goes from Genesis all the way to Malachi, right? And from Malachi, it goes Matthew all the way through Revelations, right? So somewhere between Matthew and Malachi is a seam in your Bible. Amen, Right? Or a line on your scroll, right? I mean, whatever. There's a seam right there. There's something right there. You know what that is? That represents 400 years of history. 400 years. Now, in that 400 years, you have to understand something. God gave the prophet Malachi a message. He gave the prophet Malachi a message, and he said, listen, tell them this, 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 this. And it was to reverberate throughout all history, starting with 400 years. Because after he said the book of Malachi, God said nothing to the planet for 400 years. Zero. Nothing until John the Baptist said, prepare you the way of the Lord. Nothing. So what Malachi says to, John, to, to Matthew, that's a lot. I think God was, have you ever done that as a parent to your kids? That's the last time I'm saying that. That, 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 that. Same idea. He said this. Some tells me what Malachi has to say is super important. Malachi has to say what made a difference. Now, the people Malachi was writing to were a group of people who had spent 70 years basically in jail, in prison. They were exiled. They were taken as captives, right? And while they were in this captivity, and they were in captivity because they basically thumbed their nose at God and said, God, will do it our own way. They were worshiping idols and false gods. And God said, would you stop it? That's going to hurt you. No, we're going to do it anyway. So God says, we're taking you and putting you into exile for 70 years. There's a whole lot more to that story. 70 years. God goes in and pays for their ransom, basically tells the king to stop it. Babylonians give the, give the children of Israel back. They're now back in the land for 100 years. Children of Israel in the land for 100 years after 70 years of exile. 100 years there. This was written 100 years after they got back. Malachi steps in and basically says to these guys, you're doing crazy stuff. Now, wait a minute. They just got disciplined. Just got disciplined a minute ago, and after 100 years, because 100 years is not that long ago. 100 years, right? We can Google 100 years from now. It wasn't that far away. But I'm telling you, they're, not right now. <laughs> so you're like, okay. But I'm telling you, right? 100 years is not that long. Malachi writes this prophecy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, from, from a group of people that some of them knew these people that were in exile. Some of them had relatives that were in exile. Most of them had relatives in exile. And they're now back in the promised land. And get we you know what they're doing? Get this, they didn't start worshiping false idols like their parents did, but you know what they did? They looked like they were godly. They went to church, they offered sacrifices, they gave their money, they did the servanthood. They even looked like church people. In other words, their mistake wasn't worshiping false gods, really. Their, wor- their mistake was looking like it, but not being it. you glad you're not like that. <laughs> Woo! Glad I don't worship false gods, but then this one gets you. Right? This one, because this is Malachi. Now Malachi jumps in here and he says this. Now listen, I would love to read the whole book to you. It's just four chapters, but I won't. Read it for yourself. Man, it's a good read. It's a lot of fun. But understand this. This particular prophecy is the, it, it's the capstone on which the entire Old Testament was written. It's the thing like, listen, here's what he really was saying. Will you just pay attention? And I love you. Here's what he says. Let me tell you a couple of things. As Malachi starts to give this prophetic word, these four chapters, as he starts to say this prophetic word, really what Malachi was trying to communicate to them was, guys, you're looking like you're doing it, but you're faking it. In other words, stop stealing from God the thing that you gave to him. 
You gave God your life, Malachi says, and now you're trying to take it back little by little by little. Will you stop it? No, we're not. We love God. He's saying, no, you don't. This is from God. And he begins to go and unpack some of their life. My question for you is, is what places in Malachi did he address where it was that they're stealing back from God, the things that they gave to God? Here's what he says. Malachi. First of all, chapter 3 says this. Again, this isn't clearly in order, but I want you to just listen. Malachi 3.6 says this. I, the Lord, do not change. So you... The descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. Ever since the time that your ancestors have heard you, have turned away from my decrees and had not kept them, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how do we return? In other words, how do we get this thing right? How do we give back to God what we've been taking? Good question. Number one, how do we give back to God what we've been taking? We gave God our lives and we're taking it back. Here's what he says. The first thing we need to do is return his worship. Return his worship, Malachi 1.6. It says, you have shown contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled, how, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying, altar, by saying the altar, the Lord deserves no respect. Altar of the Lord deserves no respect. Malachi chapter 1, verse 14. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it. But then sacrifice is a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am the King, I am the Lord Almighty, and my name is feared among all nations. Parentheses, except yours. I added that part. Paul, he says this, Malachi says this, give him back his worship. Now back in this day, when, when they would worship God, they, they, didn't, they didn't do necessarily what we do in our worship. But it was the same God, remember he said he doesn't change, the same idea. He simply says, listen, your worship, give that to me. Now, they express that worship by offering lambs, goats, doves, whatever, sacrifices, right? And they would do that kind of thing. But the Bible says that they were to bring a perfect sacrifice or an unblemished sacrifice. And basically, they were like, bring the young, the young um, unblemished baby goat or baby lamb or whatever it is and bring it to sacrifice. Because it's, it's, it, But that's valuable. It's too valuable. So you know what they would do? They'd go out to their herd or their flock and they would find... Um, an old, decrepit, dying sheep. And they would bring that to sacrifice. Because it was going to die anyway. God doesn't care. He knows me. God says, don't cheat him. God kind of knows everything. He's saying, listen, return worship to him. What is worship? Remember worship? Worship is what you give your time, your energy, and your affections over to. Are you giving that to Jesus? And saying, God, I give it to you? Or do you just kind of like, eh, I'm sleeping in today. Eh, I don't want to go to church. Nah, I'm not going to be involved in life group. Nah, I know they want me to give to that tech offering, but not a chance. I mean, all the things that we, listen, all the stuff that goes into it, you're just like, eh, nope, nope, yep, yep, nope. And we just kind of make it as all optional. As if it's some sort of a thing that we get to choose on. And God's saying, listen, don't defile me with your goofy sacrifices. Give you all of me or not. Give worship back to him. His worship that he deserves. Number two, how else do we return to him with rightfully his? Number two, honor your vows. Honor your vows. Malachi 2.13 says this, And here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning, because he pays no attention to your offerings. He doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't God accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows that you and your wife made when you were young. 
You've been unfaithful to her. Though she remained faithful to you, the wife of your marriage vows. Hmm. That stings in this culture. That stings in our culture. Unfaithful to your marriage vows. I can tell you this. Marriage is not easy. We've been doing this thing for 28 years, Polly and I. I can tell you, it's not easy. Worth it, but not easy. And I know that some of you have had marriages that have been really wonderful. And some of them have been very hard. Some of them have even broken apart. And some of them have, and the pain that's behind all of those decisions is unfathomable. Your pain is real. The Bible says every heart knows its own pain, and you got it. Good thing for grace. The Bible says honor your vows. Now, if there's been a divorce and there's a brokenness in your life and you get right with Jesus and you ask him to forgive you for all, then, then amen. And he understands that. Some of you have gotten divorced for a lot of reasons, abuse, um, neglect, un- unfaithful. I mean, all that stuff. I'm just telling you, it's a lot of pain. The great thing is, is God is so good and gracious. But walking it through, God wants you to honor your vow, your vow to your wife for sure. But get this, he's not only talking about your marriage. He's saying, honor your vows. If you want to return to God, then honor your vows. What other vows? You know the vows that say, you told me something and I told you I wasn't going to tell anybody, but you tell somebody anyway? Vow. Or the vows that you say to your employer, yeah, I'll be there at 8, but you're there at 8.05 and you don't tell anybody. Vow. Or the vow that sits in your wallet that you pull out has a picture on it and says, Washington State driver's license. Vow. When you're driving and speeding. Hate that. I don't like that vow. Right? Honor the Lord with your vows. Over and over again, we make these vows. We make these vows to the IRS that we're going to pay whatever and that we, you know what I'm talking about. You see, that's a big deal to God. He doesn't just tiptoe around us and go like, nah, it's okay. My grace, my grace, my grace. Listen, grace covers when you acknowledge. All right? Grace doesn't cover if you don't acknowledge. Write that down. Grace covers when you acknowledge. When you acknowledge your sin and you say, God, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be speeding or I shouldn't be lying on my taxes. Grace covers when you acknowledge. If you don't acknowledge, no grace. Because you don't realize there's a problem. When you realize there's a problem, you say, God, I need to honor my vows. See, the Bible doesn't say to be perfect in all of your stuff all by yourself. You can't do it all. The Bible says do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. It doesn't say be the best. You just do your best. And when you can't do it all right, God will take care of the rest. But the issue is, is acknowledging where you are and saying, God, I want to honor my vows. He does care about you speeding, I promise you. He does care about you texting and driving, I promise you. And we all have crossed that line at some level or another. Trust me. Hmm. But how will we acknowledge it and ask God to forgive us as we walk this through? Because get this, it's affecting you. And finally, how do we give back to the God what belongs to him? Number three, trust him with your stuff. Malachi 3.8. Will mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food enough for my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there won't be enough room to store it. I'll prevent the pests from devouring your crops, and the vines from your fields will not drop before they're ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Listen, if we're going to give back to the Lord what we've been taking, we need to trust Him, trust him with our stuff. Yeah, your tithe, that. The, the, the tithe. 
There's something about the tithe, right? I say it's about trust. Pastor Steve came up and said it's about trust. You know what your tithe, it's amazing. Your tithe really is never about money. Think about this for a second. It's not about money. Why do we have to tithe every two weeks? Or why do we have to tithe every week or whenever you get paid every month? Why do you have to tithe? Why is that God require that of us? First of all, it's not a have to, it's a get to. But when you actually tithe, get this, what you're really communicating is this. God, I gave my life to you. And every two weeks or so, I need to be reminded that I really gave you everything. Everything. What's a tithe? A tithe is a tenth. It's, not, it's a tenth, right? A tenth. It's a tenth of your income, right? $10 on $100. It's a tenth, right? Now, is there a law about that? Come on. God's a gracious God. It's just something he put in there, right? And it was given by, by Abraham back when he was giving a tenth of everything he got from the plunder to Melchizedek. Long story. But I'm telling you, that was just the thing that God said. I want you to understand. Now, what's this whole message about? When we worship God and give him the, 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 the rightful worship, when we honor our vows and we're trusting God with our stuff, his will becomes easier to find. Amen. See, it's not supposed to be hard, but the problem is, is we don't trust God with our stuff. We don't necessarily honor our vows. And sometimes we don't really honor him with our worship. And then we still say, God, show me your will. Give it to me now. And he's like, you're not even walking like you want to walk with me. Why would I, I, if I gave you my will for you, you'd just, you'd throw all your weird stuff on it. It wouldn't even make any sense. I love you. Honor me with your worship. Trust me with your stuff. Honor your vows that you make to each other and to me. And, and my will will be so clear to you. It'll just show up and you'll say things like, I don't know. It just fell in my lap. I don't know how it came about. It was so exposed. I think God's will for your life is a little more open and allowing God to show you. Now, here's the funny. Let me just show you something that's different. Um, uh, some of you know this. I studied voice when I was in college. I was on vocal scholarship. I like to sing. I can sing. It was a gift given by God. I didn't develop it myself. I tried to work on it, but the truth is he gave it to me. I get it. It's from God, right? It's not fair. It is what it is, right? I have a voice to sing, right? Here's the thing some pastors would say. Well, Lance, tell everyone to find out what he'd given them as a gift, and then that's God's will for your life. So here's the funny thing. I'm a vocalist, and I'm not leading worship. So I'm not walking in the will of God. See, you've been given gifts, but you somehow seem to define what those gifts are supposed to mean. And now last night after church, I talked to Alex, and I said, because Alex led the worship set last night too. And I came up to him and I said, Alex, let me tell you about your worship set. You did this, you were in this key, the tempo was right, the transitions were right, that song from this song to that song, you held that one out for four extra measures. I'm telling you it was ridiculous, way to go. And he goes, huh, I could have just said, nice job. Because I understand music, and I thought, God, that's why you gave me this music thing. So I can help people, that's why. And then every now and again, just get to sing, because it's fun. See, God may give you a gift of administration, administrate stuff, it'll show up wherever you are, trust me. But it doesn't necessarily mean you have to sit behind a desk crunching numbers all day. You get to be an administrative pilot, an administrative bus driver, an administrative schoolyard, whatever. And then, amen. Don't get hung up on that thing. Find out what your gift is for sure. But I'm telling you, let God define. Because when you're doing the three things that he told you to do, his will becomes super simple. Amen. Is this helping? I want to free you because the devil has bound you. So we're going to end today. How, how are we going to end today? I, I want to give you an opportunity to acknowledge the places in your life that you need someone 
like Jesus to heal and to touch. Because it's gonna be hard. Some of you for the first time are gonna acknowledge that you have to get back to giving God all of your worship. And some of you are gonna acknowledge for the very first time that you've not honored your vows and you know the vows and you need someone to pray for you. Some of you today have decided that you've not been honoring God because you've been stealing the tithe from him that he's talked about in the Bible. It's not about money, remember, it's about trust. And you're saying, but Lance, you don't get it. It's too hard. And I'm not saying anything to do with God is easy, but what on earth and valuable in life is ever easy? But it's righteous. So I wanna pray for you today. If you need prayer for any of those things, I want you to come forward so we can lay hands on you and pray for you. Amen? Why don't you stand up, everybody? Sing, oh, come to the altar. The altar, the Father's arms are open prayer, come forward right now. Come on, we're going to pray for you. Some of you who know how to pray, we come up here as well so we can pray for people. Come on, this is your church. This is where you get vulnerable and ask Jesus to be with you and help you with some area that you're struggling with. So come on, you need prayer. We all need prayer. I promise. I wish I could be an emotional guy. I can't. I'm just not like some of those guys. So if you need prayer, come up. to the altar the Father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus
Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. Thank you that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Thank you that what you start, you always finish. Lord, I pray today for our church and for all of those who are listening and watching online that you would fill with courage the ability to walk out what you've called them to walk out. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, amen. Awesome.